We are going to look at three of the most important verses in the whole Bible tonight, and surprisingly, three verses that don't get a lot of attention in biblical expositions, commentaries, sermon series. Actually, it's remarkable how little uh, attention is actually paid to these verses and how important they are to the totality of your understanding of Scripture and for your Christian life. And so we're going to look this evening at 1 Peter 1, verses 10 through 12. And as usual, you're going to find it helpful to have a copy of Scripture open and to be reading along with me in it. And before we do, let's go to the Lord and let's pray and ask him to bless the preaching of his word this evening. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful that you would call us back tonight, that we might hear your word preached, that we might hear you speak to us. And we come with hungry hearts and we come with humbled hearts and we come with hearts that are crying out for mercy and grace in the Lord Jesus, hearts that are crying out for more light and more knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, hearts that are crying out that we might know more of the privileges and blessings that are ours in him. And our God, we pray that you would send the spirit to accompany the preaching of the word as you did in the Old Testament, as you did through the apostles. And as you have promised to do throughout the new covenant era, we pray, our God, that we would know him in this place. We pray that you would open every eye and every ear and that you would make us to see and to hear those things that many kings and righteous men desired to see and did not see and to hear and did not hear. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would make us to see you and hear you and that we would be drawn in deeper fellowship with you. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 10, the Apostle Peter has been writing to a persecuted church. He's been telling them about the hope that brings them through their sufferings in times of affliction, and now telling them that as they patiently endure and they go through those things, they will in the end obtain the outcome of their faith, the salvation of their souls. And now Peter says, concerning this salvation... The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you. By the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. The grass withers, the the flower fades, but the word of God endures forever. Well, some of you might remember the year was 1993, and a book came out that everyone was enamored with, the Celestine Prophecy. Everyone was talking about the Celestine Prophecy, and it was a... It was a book about spirituality. It was a book about a supposed prophecy that had been uncovered in Peru from the 5th or 6th century BC. It was on the top of the New York Times bestseller for months. Everyone was talking about the Celestine prophecy. I had friends that were enamored with it. This book was going to change people's lives. It was going to help them understand the mysteries of the ages. It was going to give them all the answers of spirituality that they needed. It was a book of intrigue and suspense, and everyone was enamored with it. And 
then everyone realized how lame it really was and their life wasn't changed by it and they had the same problems and they had the same difficulties and they had the same struggles and no one was helped by the book and the book sort of fizzled out, thankfully, into the land of forgottenness. And yet, I mention that book to you because I think there's something deep within everyone. I think there's something deep within us that needs to know that there's something for us to latch on to, something to hold on to in times of difficulty, something for our souls to latch on to, something that grounds us. We know that we live in a world that's shrouded in mystery. We know that the world is full of mysterious things. Television is inundated with shows that talk about the mysterious and the suspenseful and mysteries uncovered. And we know that we live in a world where there's hidden mysteries and that there's more than what we see with our eyes. And, and so did the readers to whom Peter was writing. And as they went through all of their sufferings, as they went through their trials, Peter now brings forth, having brought forth to them the hope of all the things that Christ has accomplished for them. He tells them that the faith that they have, the faith that is ultimately going to end up in the full realization of salvation That's what they're waiting for. That's what they're hoping for, that that faith is grounded on the mystery of the sufferings of Christ and the glories that followed. And what Peter does in these three verses is he essentially takes all of human history and all of redemptive history, and he says to the believers to whom he's writing that everything that they have, everything they've been given in Christ, everything that they need to make it through the trials and the difficulties and the needful sufferings that they're enduring in this age, in this fallen world, as they, as they make their pilgrimage through it, is found in the mystery of the Lord Jesus. And notice what Peter says. He says in verse 10, concerning this salvation. And so the salvation that they're hoping in, that, that bound up in that, is the revelation of the Lord Jesus. And notice what Peter says, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to to come to you. They searched and they inquired. They looked for what person it would be, what time. The Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. And so Peter is telling them in summary form that everything the Old Testament was revealing and all the mystery of the Old Testament, all the types and the shadows, all the hiddenness, everything that seemed to be veiled in the Old Testament had been made clear in Jesus Christ. And that everything that they were hearing about Christ and everything he was making known to them about Christ was the substance of what God had prophesied for ages and for generations. The Apostle Paul will talk about the mystery that was hidden for ages and generations. And the mystery was the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And Peter, in summary form, tells us in these verses that the totality of Scripture is about the Lord Jesus, that there's not one part of Scripture that's not about him. I want to read to you a really wonderful quote by John Calvin. Calvin, in his preface, and I've read this to you at other times, in his preface to the 1550 uh, Geneva Bible said, This is in sum what we should seek in the whole scripture. It is to know well Jesus Christ and the infinite riches which are comprised in him and are by him offered to us from God his Father. For when the law and the prophets are carefully searched, there is not to be found in them one word which was, does not reduce and lead us to him. 
And in fact, Calvin says, since all the treasures of wisdom and intelligence are hidden in him, there is no question of having any other end or object if we wish not, as of deliberate intention, to turn ourselves away from the light of truth in order to lose our way into the darkness of lies. For this reason, does St. Paul rightly say in another passage that he resolved to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. What Calvin's saying is that if you want to be established, if you want to be secure when the very difficult times come, when the hardships come, if you want to be convinced, if you want to press on to that salvation that awaits you, the only way we do that is by being established in the truth of the scriptures that everything in the scriptures is about Jesus Christ. There's not one part of the scriptures that is not about the Lord Jesus. Now, Peter would tell us, Really, two things in this passage. He would tell us that the Old Testament was predicting Christ's sufferings and glory in promise format, and that the New Testament is making them known in fulfillment, promise and fulfillment. We'll look this evening at two things, the prediction of the age of promise and the privileges of living in the age of fulfillment. Now, as you know, there is uh, diversity on how we're to read the scriptures, how we're to read the Old Testament specifically. There's even argument in the Reformed Church over how much of the Old Testament was about Christ, and should we really see Christ under every rock, some people will say, and is Christ hidden in every word in the scriptures, and, and such questions are so nonsensical, they don't even need to be answered. This passage, combined with what the Lord Jesus said on the road to Emmaus, was that all the scriptures was about himself. Why, if all the scriptures were about Jesus, why, if the totality of the Old Testament from Genesis to Malachi were the sufferings of Jesus and the glories that followed being predicted in every page and in every way, as my friend David Murray says, it is Jesus on every page. Why, why, if Jesus is on every page and why, if every part of the Old Testament, every genre, every every literary device that God uses to reveal the truth. Why, if all of it, in the words of Calvin, is to reduce and to lead to Jesus Christ, why, why is that not more apparent to people? Well, I think that Peter gives us a clue. Peter actually tells us that the men that were writing these things by the Spirit of Christ they themselves did not see as clearly as we see. They saw through the glass darkly. They didn't know that his name would be Jesus. They didn't know all the things that we know. They didn't know who exactly he would be. They didn't know when exactly he would come, but they knew that they were writing about him. Turn over to Acts chapter 2. One of the most remarkable passages in all the scripture. Acts chapter 2. And Peter, who writes what we're reading here, and Peter, who himself had difficulty seeing what the Old Testament was about before the resurrection of Jesus and before Pentecost, preaches several sermons in the first part of the book of Acts, and those several sermons are all centered on the Lord Jesus. And what Peter does is he goes back to the Old Testament, and Peter uh, Peter develops his own understanding of Christ. He, he develops his Christology by going back to the Old Testament. He doesn't read into the Old Testament, as some have mistakenly said. And in fact, Peter, as an apostle preaching under inspiration of the Spirit, makes one of the most astonishing statements. He points back to Psalm 16, and he sees at the end of Psalm 16, 
16 that David says, in the spirit, I saw the Lord always before me, Acts 2.25. He's at my right hand, I may not be shaken, therefore my heart was glad, my tongue rejoiced. My flesh will also dwell in hope. You will not abandon my soul to Hades. You will not let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness in your presence. And if you had read that, and when the natural man reads that, and when so many of the Jews read that in the Old Testament, they said, that's David speaking. David is exhibiting his own trust in God, that God will not leave him to corruption. David is speaking about himself, and Peter says, no, David is not speaking about himself. David was speaking about Jesus Christ. David's bones are rotting away in the ground even as we speak. But Jesus is the Holy One, and he is speaking through David. It is the Spirit of Christ. Peter actually says in 1 Peter 1, 10 and 11, that the prophets who prophesied of the grace that should come to you were searching who and what and what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating how could they be speaking about Christ because the Holy Spirit who is the Spirit of Christ was in them who was revealing these truths through them and notice what Peter says here in Acts 2 he goes on to exposit the last two verses of Psalm 16 he says brothers I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ that he was not abandoned to Hades nor did his flesh see corruption this Jesus God has raised up of which we are all witnesses, therefore being exalted to the right hand of God, having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you see and hear. Now what Peter just told us, if you didn't miss it, was that David foresaw and knew that God would raise up the Christ from his seed to sit on the throne. The Apostle Peter says that David knew about the resurrection of the Messiah. The Apostle Peter tells us, and unless you want to argue with the Apostle Peter, and I don't, that David, so long before, a thousand years before, knew that God was going to resurrect the Messiah, that he would raise him up, that he would seat him on the throne, and Peter said he spoke of the resurrection of Christ. Now, it's not hard for us if we go through the Old Testament and we have so much more light to read back in. I want to read this quote to you. I love this. B.B. Warfield said, and this is perhaps the greatest way of explaining it, the Old Testament as a richly furnished but dimly lit room is understood only when the light is turned on. Then do the contents become clear. That light has been switched in Christ and the New Testament testimony to him. And what Warfield says as he starts to unpack that idea, he actually says in that section that, that there's no new furniture in the New Testament. It's all the same furniture. All the things about Christ are sprinkled in there. 
One of the marvelous things as we look at Peter's sermons about Jesus in the book of Acts is that he's pulling from lots of different places. He's pulling from the Psalms. He's pulling from Psalm 16. He's pulling from Psalm 2. He's pulling from Psalm 110. He's pulling from Isaiah 53. He's pulling all these different places. And he's saying to his hearers, all the furniture was there. It was always about Christ. We're not saying anything new. The light has come on. The spirit has come. The the new age has dawned. God has given the fuller revelation to show us everything that was already in place. If we had but eyes to see, we would see that Jesus was the suffering servant, that he was the one who was, was mocked and beaten, that he was the one whose soul was made an offering for sin, that he was wounded for our transgressions, that he would be bruised for our iniquities, that the chastisement that brought us peace was upon him. If we had but ears to hear, we would have heard David in Psalm 22, not speaking about his own sufferings, crying out, and Christ crying out by the spirit of Christ through David, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me. Jesus did not take Psalm 22, 1 up on his lips because he learned it from David. Jesus was speaking through David. And this is revolutionary. When you get that and it sinks down and you understand that not just this prophecy or that prophecy, but all of the Old Testament was driving to and pointing to Christ and that the prophets knew it was about a redeemer. They knew Job said in the midst of his suffering, I know that my Redeemer lives. There was not salvation by works in the Old Testament and salvation by grace in the New. In fact, Peter tells us in our text that that the Old Testament uh, prophets, they spoke concerning the grace, the grace that would come to you. The Bible is a book full of grace. It's a, full, a book full of grace that comes to us through the sufferings and the glories of Jesus. And that means that the whole of the Old Testament can be reduced down to those two things, death and resurrection. I want to read to you, before I elaborate on that, something else that Calvin said. Calvin said, this is eternal life. To know the one and only true God and him whom he sent, Jesus Christ, whom he constituted the beginning, the middle, and the end of our salvation. This one is Isaac, the well-beloved son of the father who was offered in sacrifice and yet did not succumb to the power of death. This is the vigilant shepherd Jacob taking such great care of the sheep he was charged over. This is the good and pitiable brother Joseph, who in his glory was not ashamed to recognize his brothers, however contemptible and abject as they were. Let me tell you right now, Calvin just told us that Jesus was the true and greater Isaac, that he was the true and greater Jacob and the true and greater Joseph, and none of the apostles say that explicitly. But what Calvin understood was that every part of the Old Testament, every part of the narrative, every part of the fabric of God's story of redemption and the history of redemption was at every point pointing to Jesus Christ. And the principle of death and resurrection was at every place. The the, the writer to Hebrews tells us that Abraham offered up Isaac, that's death, and that he received him back figuratively, that's resurrection. And the son of Abraham, the true and greater Isaac, would laid down his life on the altar and he would he would take the father's wrath the angel's hand would not be stayed against jesus all of the wrath would come down on him 
and then the father would raise him back and the father would receive him back, not figuratively, but truly and really. He is the true and the greater Joseph. He was thrown into a pit, sold by his brothers, death, brought out, resurrection, put in a place of honor, falsely accused, death, brought out, put in a place of honor and power and exaltation. This is how Peter can say that the Old Testament was speaking about the sufferings and the glories of Christ. Jesus is the true and greater Israel. He is the true and greater Israel that who goes down into Egypt and comes out of Egypt and goes through the waters and, and into the wilderness and up on the mountain and down from the mountain, who redoes Israel's history, who is the true and greater king and establishes the kingdom by his grace, who is the true and greater prophet who pronounces the woes upon the Pharisees and the scribes and everyone who has perverted what God had said in the scriptures about his grace and then who is exiled and who is cast away from the presence of God as Israel had been exiled. And that's death. That's the sufferings and who was resurrected and who brought about the full restoration of all things in himself. And there's not one part of the Old Testament that is not predicting the sufferings of Christ and the glories that follow. I, I love the way that Jesus um, uh, teaches this to the apostles because the apostles themselves were so slow to get this. The, the apostles themselves didn't want to get this. Think how often Peter himself that writes this in 1 Peter 1, 10 through 12, how often Peter said, Lord, where are you going? We don't understand. Lord, far be it from you. This will never happen to you. You'll never suffer. <laughs> the Peter that writes these words now is the Peter who himself didn't get it. And then think of Jesus on, on the Emmaus Road. And he's risen and he's accomplished all things. He's fulfilled the whole of the Old Testament. And he's walking with two despondent disciples. And they're cast down and they say, they say to him, they don't recognize him. They say, we thought it would be Jesus of Nazareth who would redeem us. And it's been three days since all this has happened. And some women went to the tomb and they didn't see his body there, but they have no hope and they have no joy. And they're not believing. And Jesus opens the scriptures to them. And he shows them beginning with Moses and the Psalms and the prophets, all the things in the scriptures about himself. And he says to them, oh, foolish ones. I do not want to be called by Jesus a foolish one. Oh, foolish ones. If you do not want to see Christ in the Old Testament, Jesus would say, oh, foolish one. And slow in heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, ought not the Christ to have suffered and to have entered into his glory? Jesus expects that his people would get that the Old Testament is about his sufferings and his glory. And the Old Testament prophets, Peter tells us, they longed to see and to understand. They had a hunger. You know, there's actually, there's actually two groups in this passage that are said to be longing to see and understand the Old Testament prophets and the angels. And I don't know if that's because Peter understood our dullness living on this side of the cross with the better light and the fuller revelation and the ability to see and hear things that Jesus said, kings and righteous men long to see and hear and never heard. 
And I'm not sure if Peter is trying to stir up. I know he is trying to stir up. But is there a dullness for the New Testament saints to hearing about the death and the resurrection of Jesus? And so Peter tells us the Old Testament prophets long. They searched diligently. They stayed awake late at night, searching the Torah and the Navim and the Kethuvim, searching all the scriptures to see who they were prophesying about. They wanted to understand the scriptures. They wanted to wipe away the, the, the dimness and the dullness of the glass through which they looked. And then Peter tells us, notice in verse 12, after explaining that these are the mysteries of the ages. These are the predicted things that establish your soul. Notice he says that these are things into which angels long to look. Angels want to look into the things of Christ. Angels want to understand how God wove into the tapestry of redemptive history. All these things about Jesus. And here's the big thing. They long to see and to hear and to understand them because they knew that the salvation that they were speaking of, the salvation that God had promised was dependent on the fulfillment of those things that were promised. They understood that everything was bound up in that. Do you know how easily deceived Christians are? There are millions and millions of Christians that scour the self-help section in what used to be bookstores and now probably Amazon online. They just scour the self-help sections. People you know, they just, they're looking, they're searching. They want something. They feel like there has to be more. And Peter's saying there is more. And the Old Testament prophets knew there was more. But all the more is about the sufferings and the glory of Jesus. All the more that your soul needs and all the more grace that you need and all the more redemptive hope that you need is found in seeing the things of the sufferings of Christ and the glories that follow. And there's no way to exhaust that. And the, the fact that the prophets searched and inquired and were eager to see and hear shows that there, was, there were depths. There were depths to what God was revealing. There were contours to Christ. It was Spurgeon who said that we need the whole Christ in the whole Bible for the whole world. One of the other Puritans said that we need Christ in every book of the Bible because if I don't get Christ in Amos, then there's something in Christ I'm not getting. If I don't understand Christ in some portion of Scripture, then there's a portion of Christ that I'm not getting for my soul. And so secondly, I want us to consider what Peter says about the fulfillment of these things for us. Notice that he says, in verse 12, that it was revealed to them, to the Old Testament prophets, that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things that angels long to look into. We are a small group gathered here tonight, but the things that you're hearing are the most important things that any ears will ever hear in the entire history of the world. And the greatest men that God raised up in that period of prediction in the Old Testament, the men that gave their lives, writing the scriptures, proclaiming that men needed to turn and repent and trust in God's salvation and turn back to God who promised to redeem people, the men who poured their lives out and who labored to give us the scriptures, the men that God exalted above 
all else men that the writer of Hebrews said are men of whom the world was not worthy. Listen very carefully. Peter tells us that they were writing all of that for you. That's remarkable. They were writing that for us. They wrote the book that has everything that you need. They set out all the mysteries about Jesus Christ for you and me. This is why I think Jesus could say to his disciples in Matthew 13 that many will see, but they will not perceive. They will hear, but they will not understand. God has blinded their eyes. He's hardened their hearts. To this day, billions of people have a veil over their heart and they cannot see and they cannot hear the things that have been given to you and me to see and hear. And Jesus said that many kings and righteous men longed to see them and were not able and to hear them but could not, but you are able to. By the same Spirit who was writing those things about Christ in those Old Testament prophets, as the gospel is preached, as Christ is held up, you are having your eyes open and your ears open and you're having the mysteries of the ages fall on your ears. How dull our hearts must be. You know, I prayed before I came in here tonight that the Lord Jesus would do for us the very same thing he did for those two on the road to Emmaus, when after he opened the scriptures and showed them all the things about himself, and he stayed with them, and they were at the fire, and they said, and, he, and then he disappeared, they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us as he opened to us the scriptures and reveal himself to us? How dull our hearts must be that we can hear about Christ repeatedly and not burn with joy and excitement, not having hearts that are rejoicing, having hearts that are looking for something else, some other experience. And I think Peter, I think Peter does tell us that these are things that angels long to look into because he wants you to understand that if the angels who are unfallen, who stand before the presence of God with veiled faces, who behold him in glory, who are in unapproachable light with the triune God, if they are standing, as it were, on the precipice, trying to see more of these mysteries, how ought we to be eager to search the scriptures to see these things? The people that get this, are the people that are going to make it when the trials, the fiery trials come. The people that really get this and they understand that it's not just to fill your head with knowledge about how Christ might be here or here, but to drive you to him, to know him. Peter will say later in this epistle, coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. And when you start to see the preciousness of Christ in the scriptures and you're, you're drawn into deeper communion with him and then God sends the fiery trial, which is to try you, you'll make it through. I don't think Peter's just giving us a, a key to understanding the Bible to kind of scratch the itch of interest about what is it really all about. I think Peter is giving you a lifeline. Peter is saying, here's where your salvation is grounded Look to Christ. You know, it's remarkable. There's not one word in here about anything that you've done. This is why we say the Bible's not about you. The Bible's not first and foremost about you and what you need to do and what your duty is before God. It's not. 
The Bible is first and foremost about what God has done in Jesus Christ. Because there's not one thing you can do in the duty that God requires you to do that you can do apart from Jesus Christ. There's not one thing that you'll be able to do apart from him. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. There's so much more that could be said. I would just read this quote to us as we close. I think it's helpful. Herman Ritterboss said, It's difficult to express in a few words what significance all this has for a right understanding of the sources of our Christology. In Christ, the church is bound not only to the New Testament, but also to the Old. If we're not reading the Old Testament, if we're not, if we're not putting ourselves deeply in the writings of the prophets, and the psalmist, and searching for the sufferings of Christ and the glories that follow, we're we're robbing ourselves of an enormous benefit for spiritual life and power. Ritterboss goes on, the revelation of God in Christ cannot be understood otherwise than as the continuation and fulfilling of what he has done of old in the history of his people and has spoken through his servants, the prophets and psalmists. Salvation is granted to us in the vessels of ancient Israel. I love that. The Old Testament cannot be understood without the new, but the new remains incomprehensible without the old, especially where Christology is concerned. I want to ask if you, as you read the scriptures, are you searching for Christ? Are you, are you prayerfully asking God to open your eyes to see the sufferings of Christ and the glories that followed? You know, it's interesting that Peter, at the beginning of this letter, he tells the people that they're going to suffer and that they are suffering, but there's glories to follow. That's guaranteed to us. If need be, you're going to be grieved by various trials, but know that glory awaits, that you have a faith, that God's fingerprints are all over, and he's preserving you and preserving you and keeping you through faith for the salvation that's ready to be revealed. We enter into the same experience as the Lord Jesus. He suffered, and then he entered glory. We suffer, and then we enter glory. Not because we do what he did, but because we trust him. We enter into the same experience as the Lord Jesus. I want to challenge you to be purposeful in holding on to these things and seeking these things and asking the Lord Jesus to open your eyes to see him in the Old Testament to be praying that you would see in the light of the New Testament all the mysteries that have been hidden. I want to give you a simple application. If you want to grow deeply in your knowledge of these things, if you want to grow deeply in your experience of them, read Peter's sermons in the book of Acts. Go through and take every Old Testament passage that he cites in his sermons and go back and study them in their original context and then read them in light of what Peter says. Pour over those things and meditate on them. Go through the Old Testament citations in the book of Hebrews and Romans. Everywhere that the apostles are citing the Old Testament, in almost every case except for two that I can think of, they all have a focus on Jesus Christ, his sufferings and glory. Challenge yourself to grow deeply by following the example of Peter. I want to give you one hope, too, as we close. As I said already in the sermon, 
Peter went through a period of ignorance to these things. I always find great comfort in that, that if an apostle who was with Jesus for three years hearing him teach all the things that he taught could be like, Lord, this will never happen to you. You'll never go to the cross. Far be it from you to suffer. And then he could come out on the other side and he could see Christ in all the contours in which he's presented in the Old Testament. That gives me great hope that God, by his spirit, will do that for me and will grow grow me deeply in my understanding of these things. Let him who has ears to hear, let him hear what the spirit says to us this evening. Let's go to him in prayer. Father, we know that unless you open our eyes as you open the eyes of those two on the Emmaus Road, unless you open our hearts as you open the heart of Lydia, that these things will remain mysterious and veiled to us. We pray that you would remove the veil and that you would show us more of the Lord Jesus and that, Father, you would ground us in the knowledge of him, in the knowledge of what his sufferings and his subsequent glories mean for us. Father, we pray that you would never let us take our eyes off of Jesus Christ. We pray that you would build us up in faith and that you would encourage us as we journey through the wilderness of this world unto that everlasting inheritance that you have for us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.